I invite you to take your copy of God's Word tonight and turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Just a couple weeks ago, we began a study here in Philippians as we uh, consider what Paul had to say to those early believers. And really in the beginning, he just reflects a little bit on his relationship with them. As we talked about last week, he thought about them and he thanked God for them. I say again, that's a big deal. I mean, to be a pastor, and I've been a pastor now for some time, and to be able to look back at churches and to remember people and to be thankful for them, that's a big deal, right? There are probably people you've met in life that you weren't always as thankful as you should have been for them. Maybe it's because of their actions. Maybe it's because of their words. Maybe it was because of something that they had done. But your heart wasn't necessarily filled with gratitude every time you thought of them. But Paul said, when I think of you... When I think of the church there at Philippi, I thank God for you. I am so grateful for who you are. And we know that as he spoke to them, as he was writing this note, that he was concerned about them, that he loved them. You could hear the affection. You could hear the tender relationship in those first few verses. Last week, we didn't necessarily get to verse 8, but in verse 8, it said, For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He had said, even, even as I think about you, there's a desire that I have, a longing, a yearning in Christ for who you are. He says, I love you, and I remember you fondly, and I want, obviously, for you to do well. I mean, he is hoping that they will continue to do well. You know this about Paul. As we've studied his missionary journeys, as we've looked at them, that Paul stayed in touch with these churches. Sometimes he would go back by to see how they were doing. He would visit them. Sometimes he would pin them letters, as we see here, and just touch base with them. And sometimes he would pray for them. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. But I want you to see in all of these activities, basically you see Paul's love for the church. Paul loved the church. And I want to say this again. I'm not sure how you can profess love for Christ without also professing love for the church. I've heard people try to disconnect their relationship with Jesus from the church, but I do not see biblically how you can disconnect the two. If you love Christ, you will love the people that represent Christ. If you love Jesus, then you will also love those who have decided to follow Jesus. There is this communion that you have, this fellowship that you have. And that is the love that we've seen expressed in these first few verses. And it is the love that is expressed even as you pray for fellow believers, specifically the church. Now, last week we talked a little bit about how he expressed gratitude and he interceded on their behalf and he came to God in confidence of what he was going to do in this church. But tonight you see the specific prayer. I mean, Paul lays it out so neatly for us, so clearly for us. He says, this is my prayer. I want to pick up there in verse 9. And notice what he says. He says, this I pray. Actually, if you look at the original tense, he says, I go on praying this. In other words, this is not just one prayer I offer on your behalf, but it's like a continual prayer that I offer. Repeatedly, I ask God for this that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things which are excellent 
that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So Paul says, I go on praying for you. I lift you up. And specifically, I ask two things. See, I say he does this neatly because if you look at the original text, basically there are two things that he specifically asks. It breaks out grammatically very well. He asks these two things. He says, I ask that you will love one another and that you will demonstrate purity in your relationships. So he prays specifically for love and purity. So I want to look at those two aspects tonight, okay? He says that your love may abound still more and more. Now, many of you have been in the church for some time. And you know in the original language of the New Testament that there are different words, different Greek words that express love. Sometimes you'll have a word that will talk about brotherly love. Sometimes you'll have a word that will talk about familial love or the love of the family. But here, this is that word that some of you have heard before. It is that word agape. Now, I believe as the Holy Spirit was guiding these writers and as they were using specific words, that these specific words communicated a specific message. So in other words, if he chose to use agape, I think there is a little bit of difference between the agape love and the familial love or the brotherly love. There's something a little different, and that's the reason God chose to use this word here. Now, agape means something like a committed type of love, a, a sacrificial type of love. It is the highest type of love or the highest type of ideal that we could imagine. So here he says, would I pray for you? If I had two things that I want to pray for you as a church, one is that you will express a committed type of love to one another, an agape love, and that you will do it in such a way that it will abound, abound. Some translations may say overflow. I like that picture. I like the picture of love overflowing in the church. Maybe overflowing in the church and out of the church into the community itself. A committed type of love to one another. Now, usually we don't like to envision something boiling over. If something boils over, it's usually an accident on our behalf. Usually we're concerned about it. We're usually running, trying to get all the things to get it fixed and cleaned and all of that. We don't like pray that things would boil over, do we? No, absolutely not. But that's kind of the idea that Paul uses here of love within the church. He says there's, there's such love in the church. I'm praying that there is such love in your church that there is something that's there that it's like you can't keep a top on it. It's going to boil over. It's going to blow off that top because of the love that you have for one another. And that you do it, that it abounds, and that you do it more and more. I mean, let me just tell you, Paul is speaking as a minister here. He is using, you want to call it some superlatives? I mean, he is like more and more and more. He is dressing it up. He is the preacher boy, okay? He is saying, if there's any way we can add more love to this, we ought to do it. And I'm praying for you 
that you would love one another, that you would love one another with this commitment type of love. Notice this word as well. It says, in knowledge. Now, in the New Testament, there are a couple of different words for knowledge. I remember going through those first days of Greek up in Blue Mountain College, and regardless of what you think about the academic rigors of Blue Mountain College, I will tell you, I almost denounced ministry about the time I got into Greek. Dr. Douglas Bain, he was quite the teacher. Uh, used to be a classmate, right, Dale? I think he went to MC for a while, but surely he got out before the end. I'm sure he did, Dale, somewhere along the line. But wow, what a teacher. And how he looked at different words. And, and, and he reminded us that there were two different words for, for knowledge. Well, two basic words for to know. One spoke about an experiential knowledge. One spoke about a knowledge, a factual type of knowledge. So in other words, you know one by experience and the other you know by fact. Listen to this. When Paul writes here, he says, I hope that this love that you have for one another, this agape committed type of love, would abound, overflow more and more in a relational type of way, in a relational knowledge each day. In other words, that in the relationships you have, not just knowing by a, a set of facts, but he says in the relationships that you have with one another, that that love would just boil over. You see, it's not cold, hard facts. It is the intimate work of, the, of God in our lives as we experience relationships in the church. And see, I take you back. I, I think that's what Paul was really remembering too, the relationships that he had. I, I'm convinced of this. I, I am. I, I've been through different churches now, and I look back on my experience. Some of the greatest things that you can know in life are the relationships God gives you. So much else. I mean, so much else, it pales in comparison to the relationships God gives you. Certainly in the family relationship, certainly in the friendships that you have. But for me personally, I've always thanked God for the relationships that he's given me within the church context with my brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something about relationships. And Paul recognizes that. Paul says there is something that is deep, that is intimate about two believers coming together. And he says, I pray that you as a church would experience that love type of relationship, that you would feel the intimacy of relationships in the body of Christ. Now, I'll give Loy a plug here. I think one of the greatest ways we build relationships are in our small group Bible studies. We call it Sunday school. Some of you looked at me like, what is he talking about? Which Bible? Sunday school. I think that's one of the best places to build a relationship with somebody else. Now, I want you to come to worship. I want you to hear what the preacher has to say that Sunday because I believe God has given a message to the preacher for that day, for that moment. But oh, how much, maybe more important it is 
for you to study God's word in Sunday school and to connect with other people, to have those relationships where you can build and you can see the love of God abound over and over. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you just prayed for God to allow the church to abound in love toward one another? And not just generally speaking. When was the last time you prayed and said, God, help me personally demonstrate agape love to my brother and sister in Christ. Lord, would you help me form some of the most meaningful relationships? Lord, help me keep forming relationships within the church. Don't let me be satisfied with the group that I know, but Lord, allow me to keep meeting people and experiencing life with them. That's what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to do life with one another. We live together as God's people, a community of faith, and we demonstrate love. When was the last time, maybe the last time you just picked somebody out and you said, hey, I pray for that person that they would find those love relationships within the church that are appropriate and that are good for them. When was the last time that you did that? When was the last time you just looked and you said, there's Tom. I pray Tom would love Louie. Yes, it's hard to love Louie Miller sometimes. But God, I pray that you would help his heart abound in love toward Louie. When was the last time you did something like that? You said, well, that's kind of personal. It ought to be personal. You ought to look at people and you ought to pray for people personally. I believe in praying for the church in general. Yes, I do. Paul's praying generally here. But there are times in our lives when we ought to look and we ought to pray personally. Call them by name. That God would allow that individual to abound in love towards somebody else. That they would res- somehow demonstrate that relationship again. Right now, I'm praying, I'm praying for where- Wayne and Carolyn Fleming to show some love. They're going to Disney next week. Would they love their pastor and take their pastor with them? I'm praying that they would abound in love. We are to pray that we would abound in love toward one another, specifically in these experiential relationships. Now, you'll notice Paul said and that you do this in all experiential knowledge, but also in discernment. I always point to my brothers and sisters who sometimes miss this aspect of love. Agape committed sacrificial love is always discerning love. It means that it looks at what is right and what is wrong. It doesn't ignore the truth. In our world today, you hear this constant message that if you are so discerning and if you believe in a certain truth, there's no way you can love. That can be farther from the biblical message. The biblical message is you can love one another and still be discerning in who you are. You can hold to that which is good and that which is holy. You can remember those things that are right before God. You can be discerning. You can do that and you can still love 
He says, I pray that you would overflow in love toward one another in relationships and that you would do it in all discernment. There's a second thing that he asks. He prays for their love. He prays for their purity. I'm going to come back to verse 10 in a moment. But look, well, look, if you will, at the last part of verse 10. Let's do that. Last part of verse 10. He says, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That you may be sincere and without offense. Some translations may say something like pure and blameless. Sincere without offense. So listen to what he does. He says, I pray for you that you would love one another. He says, I pray that you would demonstrate purity in your life. I pray that you'd be pure before God. That word pure, that word means something like inspected by the sun. In other words, that whatever it is in your life, you could bring it out into the daylight. And it could be inspected. People could see it. And that it would still be right. It would still be holy. It would still be sincere before God. Paul says, I'm praying that you would demonstrate that type of holiness and purity in your life. That you would be one that you could stand on the day of Christ and that you could be blameless. Now, I know, again, we are all flawed people. We are fallen. We understand that. But thanks be to Christ that he comes into our lives to make a difference and to lead us into an area of holiness. As I said last Sunday morning, from the book of Leviticus, God would look at his people and he would say, be holy because I'm holy. In other words, you demonstrate purity, you demonstrate a a set apartness in your life because I, your God, I'm set apart. I'm different. I pray for your purity. If you look at the church at Philippi, the first church, arguably the first church that was founded in Europe, a church that was more Greek or Gentile in its makeup, a church that was given to a city that had all kinds of temptations. Paul looks at them and he says, I pray you remain pure. I'm praying for your purity. I'm praying for your blamelessness. I'm praying for the way you walk before others. I'm praying for the way you walk before God. I'm praying for you on that. And see, I think it's a tremendous opportunity that we have to pray that we would love one another, that we would abound in love, But how necessary are the prayers we need to be offering for one another when it comes to purity and blamelessness? I will tell you, as we live in this fallen world, every one of us come across temptation daily. Every day. Every day there are things that would mar our testimony. Every day there are temptations that would try to draw us off our walk with God. 
how we need to pray for one another that we would remain pure before Him. Friends, we can't do it in our own efforts at all. Our testimonies, our purity does not come through our own self-effort. Our purity can only come through the Holy Spirit's work in our life, empowering us to remain pure. So what we do for us is we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to His work and to His power so we can overcome these things. But oh, how we can pray for one another that the Holy Spirit would work in our lives, in their lives, in other people's lives, that they might remain pure. How appreciative I am for people who pray for me. And they say, hey, I, I pray for you. I want you to know that some people I know pray each day. And I am so blessed to have such a supportive group of prayer warriors. But I would say to you, if you're going to offer a prayer for me and for any, it should be a prayer for purity. Lord, keep them pure. Lord, guard their hearts. Lord, lead them not into temptation but deliver them from evil. That should be a prayer that we're praying for one another, for the church. Again, Satan and his armies, they're doing everything they can to attack the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're doing everything they can. We ought to pray that God would, through his strength, through our listening to Him, that we would remain pure. And He says here, and in the process of that purity, that we are filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. So as we remain pure, as God's working in our heart, that what we're doing is actually expressing the fruit of righteousness. Again, I love the way Paul frames this because he says it, in such a passive way. He says, the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, it's not necessarily that you're producing the fruit. It's that God is working in you to produce the fruit. And you and I, <laughs> even on our best days, we don't, we don't produce the best of fruit. Oh, we, we can try and we can work. Even after we're saved, we, we can try to do these things on our own. But the sweetest fruit comes from the work of Christ Jesus in our hearts and lives. If you want to produce good, healthy, sweet fruit, you let the Lord Jesus Christ work in your life and produce it in you. And he says, I'm praying that you would express such purity that somehow the fruits of righteousness... As he works in you, as he, work, as he demonstrates himself in you, that somehow the fruits of righteousness would be demonstrated. Let me go back now to verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. See, this is the, this is the aim, right? That we remain faithful and pure producing righteousness until his return. Remember in verse 6, Paul had already said, I'm confident of this, that the God who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. 
how we can have the confidence that what Jesus Christ began here with the Temple family some 90 plus years ago when Dwight was only five years old. You were 10, weren't you? I'm sorry, Dwight. Some years ago, when God did that, we have confidence that he will continue that good work here. That's what we believe, right? That's what he says in verse 6. As he's talking to that church, he's saying, I believe, I have the confidence and assurance God's going to continue working you. But what I want you to do, what I'm praying for you, until that day that you would demonstrate purity in your heart and in your life, that you will produce through Jesus Christ, there will be produced in your life a fruit of righteousness. So that when we stand, just as I said today, just as I said this morning, he is coming back. You don't doubt that. Jesus Christ is going to come again. And when he comes and he finds us, may he find us in absolute love with one another because of the love that abounds among Christian brothers and sisters. And may he find us blameless and pure in our testimony, in our walk, because we are clinging to our relationship to him. More importantly, he is holding us in place in this relationship that we have. And that we do all of these things, in verse 11, to the glory and the praise of our God. A song that we've sung here in our 9 o'clock service in the sanctuary, a song that we've sung in the gathering. It's a newer song. Even so, come. Come, Lord Jesus. The chorus, it says this. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. May we pray for one another. May we pray that at his return, we will be pure, that we will be loving in who we are. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for recording this prayer through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving it to us as an example of prayer for the church itself. God, I pray that it would challenge us now. Challenge us to pray. Lord, for us as a temple family, for us to pray as a congregation for the love that you want us to experience, for the purity that you want us to experience. But God, I also I ask you to speak to our hearts individually. That, Father, we would be challenged first in our own lives to love and to walk in a pure way. But, Lord, that you would challenge us to pray for our brothers and sisters, to pray by name for their walk, for their testimony, for their love attitude. God, give us even this moment of invitation and reflection to Lord just pray.
We ask it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? As we have this invitation, maybe some of you just need to come to the altar, pray for somebody. Maybe right where you are, you can, be, you can sit right back down where you are. You can get down on your knees. Whatever you want to do, you can just stand with your head bowed. Whatever you want to do tonight, would you pray? Pick somebody else out that you see around you. Pray for them tonight in this place. Pray for their love attitude. Pray for their walk of purity. Just pray. Even tonight during this invitation.